Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Content warning. Check the show notes for more information. It's March 17th, 1829, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. So it was on this day that the greatest clown in history, Joseph Grimaldi, took to the stage for the very last time at Sadler's Wells, the same London theatre he had made his theatrical debut, aged just two. The performance was a fundraiser and the recipient was Grimaldi himself, which is a hint that this original great clown was also the original great sad clown. Yeah, and he received £895 for his two final gigs. There was actually another farewell concert at Drury Lane in June, but the Sadler's Wells one has been recorded as his final performance, I think, for two reasons. One is he gave a very beautiful little eulogy, which I'm sure we'll come to. And the other is because it had resonance, because it was the place that he'd performed as a child, when he already sort of made something of a name for himself, just as his father's assistant. So his dad was a kind of variety performer as well. And as part of the act, brought him on stage as a monkey. So the joke was, my toddler son is my monkey. He was on a metal chain. And apparently he used to quite vigorously swing him around on this metal chain. And one apocryphal day, little Joe Grimaldi went flying off into the audience. The chain came loose. And this made the papers that basically the child from Grimaldi's stage act hadn't died. And that was how people first heard about Grimaldi. Again, kind of slightly setting up the sad clown ideal, I feel. Uh-uh. <laughs> but at the age of six, a critic from the Gazetteer uh, commented that the infant son of Grimaldi performs in an astonishing manner. So already, as this tiny young kid, he was already sort of wowing the critics. Yeah, I mean, he was from a clowning dynasty. His great-grandfather, Jean-Baptiste, was an Italian dentist. <laughs> it's the dynasty spin-off we all want to see. <laughs> <laughs> his, yeah, his great-grandfather, Jean-Baptiste, was an Italian dentist with a sidelining clowning, which was apparently something that you could do at the time. Just uh, his don't do that. That's not a thing that I want my dentist to be doing, is making No, funnies. I'd rather you focus full-time on the dentistry, yeah. frankly. Uh, his, they're squirting a flower full of water into your mouth. Um, his grandfather and father were also actors slash dancers slash clowns kind of a nebulous profession at the time and they sort of bounced around the continent but Grimaldi himself was born in London and we cannot stress how much his father Giuseppe was a disgusting creep who took in a nine-year-old girl called Rebecca Brooker as his dancing apprentice when he was in his 60s and he was definitely having sex with her by the time she was a teenager because she gave birth to Joseph Grimaldi at the age of 14 Giuseppe initially had very little to do with his son he had several other mistresses and several other children but when Brooker gave birth to a second son he saw the potential to turn this into a family performing unit and he moved in with them they had an incredibly unhappy childhood because Giuseppe was probably what we would now recognize as being mentally ill 
He was obsessive and eccentric. He would beat his sons for disobeying any of his whims and also engage in incredibly emotionally scarring behaviour, such as he feigned his own death to test what his son's reactions would be. And apparently Joseph's younger brother, John, supposedly whooped with delight to see his father apparently lifeless and was subsequently thrashed. And Joseph supposedly gave a more appropriate response and it was therefore more of his uh, father's favourite. I mean, this sinister side is not so deep beneath the surface, really. I have just told the story about how he flung his child on a metal yeah. chain into an audience <laughs> <laughs> when his bones were barely formed. So it was all up there on the stage for everyone to see. But I think it's worth emphasising that Britishness, you know, that you, that you mentioned there, that he was born in the UK, because I think people who don't know much about Grimaldi obviously hear the name and the Italian heritage and the fact that he came from a tradition of Italian commedia dell'arte clowning and think that it must have been quite a European art form that he practised. But no, this is like English music hall panto stuff that he pioneered. Mm. So his his big kind of call and response thing that he did was a song called Hot Codlins, which was about an old lady who sold roast apples and drank too much gin. And it's such a like English folk story sort <laughs> of comedy routine, basically. So he sings, A little old woman, her living she got, by selling codlins hot, hot, hot. And this little old woman who Godlin sold, though her codlins were not, she felt herself cold. So to keep herself warm, she thought it no sin to fetch for herself a quarton off. And then the whole audience goes, gin! <laughs> and drink. <laughs> <laughs> and the audience shouted back, gin. He said, imagine Paul Whitehouse in the Fast Show doing the musical parody. He said, oh, for shame. <laughs> well, his big break was in 1806 when he joined the Covent Garden Theatre, where he starred in a pantomime called Harlequin Mother Goose, and that was where he really enjoyed his greatest success. And it was in that production that he created what is regarded as a new type of clowning, which combined apparently the elements of rogue and simpleton, criminal and innocent dupe all in one character, which was kind of the role that was then subsumed by lots of other uh, English clowns. And the other thing that he pioneered was the white face makeup. Um, and that became a really big kind of calling card for, for all clown kind, <laughs> if you'll allow it, uh, from then on. Yeah, the, the rouge half moons on either cheek were him. The idea of covering yourself in white face was known to be dangerous because it was all lead based and highly toxic. Hmm. So, I mean, even just that is an example of both how influential he was, but also how prepared he was to put himself in the line of fire for his art, which is ultimately what did for him. And although he didn't design the iconic clown costume, you know, a sort of brightly coloured, brightly patterned suit, he was the preeminent clown at the time when that came in. Previously, the clown had worn sort of ragged servant clothing. And this all comes down to the fact that, okay, Harlequin and clown are two separate things in the Commedia dell'arte. Mm. So the Harlequin was supposed to be this cunning, nimble servant, and the clown was his sort of buffoonish sidekick. But the Harlequin had been the, the principal role in in these pantomimes. But the enormous popularity, not just of Grimaldi, but of his great clowning rival, who was a French clown called Dubois, that made the clown the principal character in these performances. It kind of did it more or less single-handedly. And he didn't just play in pantomimes as well. It was a kind of a strange situation where he also had comic roles in a highbrow 
the plays, such as he played a, a grave digger in Hamlet, kind of like the celebrity cameos you get now, like when, you know, when Matt Lucas was mm. Tenardier on stage in Les Mis, that sort of thing. You know, people turn up to see that comedy turn from the famous comedian. Mm. And they were all characters, which is something that I think gets missed now when you go and see a circus and there's a clown. You just mm. think, oh, well, that's that's the clown. I mean, you know, underneath it is an actor who, <laughs> who doesn't walk around the whole time doing that. But <laughs> it's, it's not a well-defined role with like a history, is it? It's just a clown. Yeah. Whereas for... Grimaldi, the characters that he was playing in these Harlequinades were characters. The audience knew their names. Scaramouche mm. was a famous one. Joey the Clown is the one with the two rouge circles on the cheeks. So that he actually had, sometimes within the same show, various different characters that he was able to play, which I think is partly why he has this reputation of being such a tour de force because within the same show you'd see him do very different things maybe slapstick physical comedy with one of the roles and then in another role it would be about the emotion or about the distress it was a really really hard life for Grimaldi he, he drove himself extremely hard I mean, he he got married quite young he married age 20 the daughter of the owner of Sadler's Wells so obviously that helped secure his place as one of London's preeminent clowns but his wife died in childbirth and their child died as well and after this he would end up performing sometimes two shows a night to try and sort of all the grief and to the point where he ended up accidentally shooting himself in the foot whilst on stage and his mother was so oh, wow. concerned about him that she hired a, a Drury Lane dancer called Mary Bristow to nurse him she ended up becoming his second wife and the mother of his only child uh, Joseph Samuel who followed in his footsteps but again there was tragedy they, they performed side by side when he was a teenager and a young man he ended up being really resentful of being the son of this incredibly famous clown and descending into alcoholism and becoming estranged from the rest of his family so there was just this constant undercurrent of tragedy not to mention the physical consequences of you know doing these incredible tumbles and pratfalls with no such thing as a as you know health and safety coordinator or a stuntman or anything he was just throwing himself down he was a wreck by the time he was in his late 40s so he had rheumatism he couldn't walk very well um and when we get to this day where he's doing his final gig or his penultimate gig but billed as his final gig um it was known that he was penniless that he'd retired and he gives this incredible speech uh, where he says I'm not yet eight and forty years which even by 19th century standards is young he says like vaulting ambition I have overleaped myself and pay the penalty in advanced old age hmm. it is four years since I jumped my last jump filched my last oyster boiled my last sausage and set in for retirement and get to the funny, funny man <laughs> Tomorrow Kabuki slippers, bell-bottom jumpsuits, evening gowns, aprons and men's vests Love the show? Support the show Patreon.com slash Retrospectors Part of the ACAST Creator Network Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 